What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the You Dope Ball Podcast. I'm your host, Trill Bro Dude, and everything is going great. It's fantastic right now. We are absolutely loving it, folks. Some are saying the Sixers are the best. Some some are saying that we do the very best of any team in the entire NBA. The fake news media will have you believe that we're not doing great, but we are doing absolutely fantastic over here at the You Dope Ball Podcast. So, another fucking epic collapse. I don't know really what else to say except for everything that was said in this podcast. Mike Chiato came back on. We riffed, we ranted for about 35, 40 minutes, kind of about the insanity of everything that happened at the end of the Nets game. I didn't want to do this podcast, but in just just classic collapse from the Sixers, and I had to get this episode out there. I had to get my thoughts out there into the world so that they weren't just staying in my poison brain and poisoning my thoughts even further. So I've been putting out a lot of podcasts recently. I'm going to do two more this week. This is just treat these episodes like bonus episodes. Like me and Mike are going to hop on every once in a while. We're going to react to things, whether it's games or transactions or whatever it is. and we're going to keep the two a week podcast still going in addition to this. This is like the reward for the donations that people have been making on square. As I said, by the way, thank you so much to everyone who's donated so far. It's been absolutely awesome. So I want to continue to remind you like last week we, we, we did three episodes. We did the, the episode with Mike that we did the other day. We did the episode with Matt where we talked about the Ben Simmons thing. That one didn't get as many listens, so go check that one out. That was really funny conversation and a fun losing our minds kind of conversation just like this one is. And I I hope that more people listen to that one. And then the day before that, I had R- Rob Flom on and we talked about NBA awards. We talked about our predictions for the season for the Western Conference and our NBA finals picks. So go check out all those episodes if you haven't already. I appreciate continued support as always. I always say this up top, but I really, 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 really appreciate you guys. Uh, Everything's been absolutely fantastic and more five-star reviews. I'm not working for the next three weeks, so I'm going to continue to pump out at least two podcasts a week and then maybe do some bonus episodes as well. We're trying to do some more fun shit over here, maybe expand the platform a little bit, join the Discord, talk to us about everything, lose our minds all together. We can lose our minds together in the Discord. There's like 100 people in there now. There's like 50 or 60 active people that are always talking in there. And we're just talking about everything related to the Sixers and the NBA. And we talk during games. And it's just like a good space. It's a safe space for insane Sixers fans who just want to talk about whatever's on their mind. And it's it's been absolutely fantastic. I've had a few people who have donated through the square and – have said things similar to what my girlfriend says, which is basically she's glad that I have a space where I can talk to people about things she doesn't care about, like the NBA and the Sixers and the Eagles and all the things that we talk about in there. Uh, it's not limited to anything. We, we talk about everything, and it's a lot of fun, and I just hope that you guys join and just continue to support and do whatever. Everyone who's been posting about it, you're absolutely amazing. And I know this intro was a little bit long, but I really just had to say that. Uh, and I really, really appreciate you. So once again, five-star reviews, any donations you can make, 
100% appreciated. And enjoy this episode with Mike. And we'll have two more uh, later in the week, uh, including one with a very special guest that I think everyone will be excited about. We work to work, you like to work, I holla and they send it You know my pride was colder than Chicago in December What's going on, guys? We are back. Another episode of the You Know Ball podcast, and I am your host, Trill Bro Dude. And originally, I didn't want to do a post-game rant for this episode unless Ben Simmons played and there was some sort of reaction and something that we could talk about regarding that. And I don't want to overreact to one game, and I don't want to overreact to the second game of an 82-game season when we don't have our second best player. And I don't want to overreact, Mike. I don't want to overreact. But this game is a microcosm of everything that's wrong with the Sixers. And I just need to get a lot of shit off my chest. I don't know how you're feeling, but that's how I'm feeling right now. Yeah, I mean, it's the second game of the season. It's October the 22nd, it was. But it is just a microcosm of everything else. And I mean, that was national TV. That could have been a statement win. Against the Nets, I don't think they'll be with the Nets in the standings, but if they are, tiebreaker-wise, they have to win the next three against the Nets, which won't happen. So that's just – it would have been really nice to win that game. And they looked – literally, up until the last five minutes, not only were they winning, they looked like the better team. Yeah, they did. And and you would have been able – it would have been a statement win to beat the Nets without Simmons, home opener, Nets go down 0-2, the Sixers start off 2-0. Like – Everything that happened starts at the top with Doc Rivers. Like, I think that I said this last night, and I truly believe this in my soul, that no matter who the coach is, whether it's Brett Brown, it's Doc Rivers, it's Mike D'Antoni, whoever, the Sixers will always have a ceiling until they have a perimeter player that can close games, that can carry carry the load down the stretch of big games that they've really only had one time with Jimmy Butler during the Joel Embiid era. Tobias Harris is not that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Joel Embiid, it, it's hard to play through the post. It's hard. It, it, the Sixers don't even really have that many passes that can get it to him. I believe all of this, but I also believe that games like this that just slip through your fucking fingers yeah. have a lot to do with the coach as well. And I'm- it, just seems like at every turn, Doc made the wrong decision at the end of that game last yeah. night. And I mean, it starts off with they go on that run. Nets call timeout. They're up 10, 108, 98 with, I think, five minutes left. And Bede was at the score stable, about to check in. That at the time, he sits back down. And I get what you're trying to do. And it was knees bothering him. I get you're trying to right. see, like, can we keep they got a, that lineup one on a run? Can we keep it going? And maybe he just sits the whole fourth quarter. But you're playing the Nets. You have a chance to go for the kill shot. Um, you come out very easily, get a bucket and a, and a stop, and you, you win the game. And I know his knee's bothering, but 
you could have rest the last three minutes. You could have put that game out of the reach right there. Yep. And, and that was a start. If if that is the case with Embiid, with the knee thing, and you want to keep yeah, him it fresh, and you like, want to... He looks pretty bad. He looked like he should not have been playing this night. Right. That's my thing. It's like, then fucking sit him. Like, you're the coach. You're the... Like, Joel and Doc need to be on the same page when it comes to these things. If he is not able to play 30, 35 minutes in a game, then he probably shouldn't be playing the game altogether. Like, like you could talk about minutes restrictions all you want and shit, but in order for this team to go as far as it, it can, Joel Embiid needs to be healthy at the end of the season, and we need to not be worrying about this. And I know Joel said he wanted to set example for the rest of the team yeah. and all that shit, but like... The Doc Rivers thing is just such a bigger thing to yeah. me than anything else because Doc is like this personal responsibility, like everyone needs to be accountable for everything. That's what he, he, he pitches. Like that's what his appeal is as a coach, I guess. And then after the game at the press conference, they ask him why he chooses to not challenge two of the challengeable plays on the stretch of the game, which by the way, the two minute report came out today. Both of those plays would have been overturned with yeah. second review in the two minute report. They said the ball went out on Durant and they also said that there was a charge on Durant on Danny green. So if you use a challenge on either one of those, the Sixers get the ball back and possibly the momentum. So there's that. And then on top of that, he turns around and he blames the guy that sits on the bench behind him for the challenges. Like, so I, what, are, what are we doing here? So I was sitting where I was sitting in the upper deck, like right below this, right behind the Sixers bench. So I could see Doc wasn't even at, like the crowd was yelling the challenge. He wasn't even look. He was like talking to the ref or something. And then Danny was like pointed at the guys behind the bench, Danny Green. And yeah. At that point, Doc turns around and is like yelling at the guys behind the bench. The Nets are already about to inbound the ball. So. He didn't even look like, I mean, I'm not going to try to say like, oh, I know what was going on. But I was sitting right behind the Sixers bench, like, and Doc looked like he didn't even know he could challenge. Right. That's the thing is that it's like, you're the coach, you need to be, and like, I'm, I understand going to the refs and saying whatever, but if you're going to then turn around and blame the guy, you need to have been doing that from the jump. You need to be the guy that immediately turns around, checks with that guy before you even talk to the refs. Yeah. Not to you, mention it, they had two timeouts. So if you want to, so if they only have one left and you're like, we don't want to lose that timeout, but they had two. Right. So if you lose one, you still have one. Also, like, okay. End of the game. Okay. Having timeouts is valuable, no doubt. 100 yeah. percent Having two timeouts is great. Okay, whatever. Having one timeout is fine. You are not even properly using the fucking timeouts. Like that's that so why so is Thibel why is Thibel in the game with the ball? Inbounding the ball full court to Joel Embiid when you literally had him in for defense. Durant goes to the line. You can sub him out in between free throws. You don't, don't sub him out. It's, it's the same goes, fucking thing. What goes through his mind at the end of games? It, it doesn't – in nothing. He just – he collapses every fucking time. And what happened last year in the playoffs, and this is something that Seth Partnell from The Athletic pointed out – after I believe it was game five last year and of the Hawks series. And it was essentially Doc was doing this thing where he loves to do the offense defense subs, yeah. which fine. If you have the timeouts, if you can do it in between free throws, I'm fine with that strategy as long as you actually fucking do it. Cause Thibel should be pulled. He should not even be in the yeah, game. He cannot be in the game. 
He can't shoot. Like I know he that can't last pass. Night, like last night, he had the timeouts, but he. It, if you're putting him in the game in the last two minutes, you have to know. Okay, as soon as the defensive possession is over, we got to get him out. Right. He, he cannot be offensively. He is so bad offensively. And. And that's a mention like, inbounding the ball. Exactly. That's the thing. Not only do you have him in the game, you have him doing the most important thing when you're down four with like 10 seconds left. I don't left. even know what they were doing. Like there was 13 seconds left. The game was probably could, over. But the game was probably over. Court. But exactly. It's a microcosm. There's not four seconds left. There's 14, 13, 14 seconds left. Like you have time to get the ball. Okay. So going back to what I was saying about the Seth Partnow thing. Last year, when the teams were doing Hackaben, he did this in both series, but but when he was doing the Hackaben, they were doing the Hackaben strategy, he would keep Seth Curry in the game. Yeah. He wouldn't put Thibel in when the Sixers were only playing defense. There was they would get the ball and immediately someone would foul Ben. Like, so the offensive value that Seth Curry brings is completely irrelevant in this situation. So the offense-defense strategy is fine, but you're not even doing it. Yeah. I I don't... He's just... I don't understand. I gotta be... Like, there's no way Maury is sitting there like, Doc's my coach. Like, I love Doc. <laughs> there's no way. Like, what is what is going through Maury's mind as he watches those last five minutes? Not even you know what? Doc, like... You know who is sitting there saying Doc's my guy is the ownership group that paid him $50 million to be the coach for the next five years. And and now three and a half – after this season, it will be three more seasons. But the yeah. thing is, is that because you gave him that money, it's similar to the Pelicans situation where they're still paying Alvin Gentry. They're still paying Stan Van Gundy. The Sixers are still paying Brett Brown. Yeah. They're pay- they're paying Doc Rivers for this season, and they're paying Doc Rivers for the next three seasons. So even if there's some sort of collapse, even if there's some sort of like everything goes off the rails, Doc's here for at least next season still. Yeah. And even when he's gone, ownership will be cheap, and they'll go for a first-time head coach. You're not getting mm-hmm. Mike D'Antoni. You're not getting one of these big-name guys to come in and coach the team. And – my thing with Doc is like, okay, so he doesn't take personal responsibility despite being like the personal, like the accountability guy. The players, some of them seem to like him, but his history has now led to multiple locker room collapses. Within one year, this whole Ben thing happened. And there's yeah. obviously, we've discussed the complexities of all that situation and yeah. shit. He's not an X's and O's guy. He's not a good in-game coach and he's absolutely terrible at the end of games, specifically at the end of big games. So what does Doc Rivers bring to the table as a coach? I think the idea... Oh, he doesn't develop guys either. (laughs) But the idea of what people want to say is that he's this great in the locker room, great locker room guy. And I think he can be. Like last year, I think he was. Yeah. But it seems like when it goes bad, it goes really bad, as you saw in the clip with LA and the Clippers. Right. And it seems like, at least with the Clippers, there was like three years of good. And now it seems like it's all falling apart one year here. Yeah. So. And that's the thing is like I think new – like the freshness, the newness of Doc, the messaging. Like I think that he has a level of believability. I think the players have trusted him. He's a former player. I think from the first season and, and like when he first came here that there was – 
uh, an amount of buying in. And I think that there still continues to be an amount of buying in with Doc Rivers as a coach. But if you have games like this over and over and over and over, this is the kind of thing that might only be the second game of an 82-game season. But games like this and then games like the two collapses that we had in the playoffs last year will continue to just erode that trust erode just the believability of whatever Doc Rivers is selling. And like no one is going to continue to be motivated to play for this guy if they keep doing this. So like all things considered, there were some positives to come out of last night. And like, honestly, I rewatched the game and I think the Nets should have easily won that game. Watch it. Like, Like the Nets missed a ton of open shots the Sixers were shooting pretty well from the field. I felt like defensively the Nets were getting gashed for the first three and a half quarters of the game until they finally locked in. But like it like Harden doesn't look himself. He does. Durant Durant didn't look that great. Like Durant had a triple double, but it wasn't like one of those games where you're like, oh my God, Durant's taking over. Like, yeah, like it, it was, was a f- it was a fine Harden Durant games. Like I yeah. know Durant's numbers were really good, but it wasn't like a Durant. Game. Right. Right, and as you pointed out, like, LaMarcus Aldridge was the reason they won that game. He couldn't miss a fucking mid-range shot. And, like, uh, the Sixers the Sixers bench, as as good as it has looked, and I think they even might have won the minutes last night, like, mm-hmm. there were a ton of blown defensive rotations. The, the Nets were got – the Nets miss a ton of open looks in that game. And the fact that the Sixers were in the game is – you know, some a positive that I feel, and the fact that they should have won the game is a positive that that I could probably twist it as. But it's just like, how many fucking times is this going to happen? Yeah, you can't. Before? You can't be like, oh, we only lost the Nets by whatever four, and we were winning the whole game because we've seen this before. Like, right? This is what they do. Yes, they can't score at the end of games, and when you don't have Ben, who was maybe the best perimeter defender in the league, maybe like last year, they still wouldn't be able to score last year. Right. They at least would have had Ben on Harder Durant. Yeah. Now it's Danny Green on Harder Durant. Yeah. Which or Maxi was on him Maxie. at certain points. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's like uh, another like thing. And, and it's actually exactly to your point was last year in the game against the Nets. We almost had a similar collapse when yeah. none of their guys were playing. It was literally just Harden, and they pulled Harden with like seven minutes left, and then their bench had a a, a comeback yeah. because we were collapsing down the stretch. And if it weren't for the fact that the defense actually held up at the end against Alize Johnson and Tyler Mike James and Tyler right. Johnson and all their backups, we would have been absolutely we would have lost that game as well. It, it reminded me of the Lakers game last year, except they won that game. Right, because Tobias got the switch on Alex Caruso, and he was able to put it up on him, and uh, and there's a lot of of blame to go around for 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 this game, and and Tobias is one guy who yeah. has seemingly avoided a lot of blame, and and I, I will count myself as being a guy who has maybe given him a little bit of a pass, but like you get paid a ton of money and like you were great for the first half and you had that stretch in the fourth quarter in the, with the bench unit. But other than that, like the second half, this guy just absolutely disappears way too often. He's just not good enough. Like, no, I'm not saying you can't win with him, but he's not good enough. What they're asking him to do is just ridiculous. You can't, he can't do that to shoulder the load essentially down the stretch. Yeah. Yeah. it doesn't even feel like they try it even more. Like it's not. It's not even like Doc says, "Oh, Tobias, you're a closer." Go. It doesn't even. He doesn't even do that. He'd rather let Danny Green airball three threes in that a was, row. That, I guess that was unbelievable. 
Like I and just I love, swinging the momentum. Love Danny, but after he airball the first one to come right down the set, right the right next possession, just put it up another one, like four seconds of the shot clock. Like man, yeah, it, it was very clear that that uh, the goal. Everyone, the, everyone knew the game. Like out in the arena, everyone knew the game was over after he airballed that. Like it was, it was over. Everyone knew. Yep, and. It was like it, – it very much felt like let's end this thing right now so that yeah. we don't have to try anymore kind of. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to – it didn't even feel like I'm going to be the hero. It felt like let's get this over with type yeah. shit. Yeah. And the th- another thing, another choice from Doc, I, I, it didn't show in the stat sheet. But if you watch that game, Moss was fucking awesome yeah. again. And – how is Moss not closing the game over Danny yeah, Green? Like, he probably like, Moss probably has to close games right now. Yeah, you know, like bad with nights, no Ben. Yeah, when you when you're that bad offensively, he can at least do stuff. He can shoot. He can put the ball yeah. on the floor. He can drive. He can pass. Danny like, just, like it's, hey, Danny is better than Moss, but he can't. He can shoot. Yeah, offensively, he can't do much else. And you hope you're so desperate for anything on offense. Any sort of shot creation that you can get from your guys, you need to take. And like watching last night, and as I said, it didn't really show in the statute with Cork Moss, but like, and Danny, as great as Danny is, and and as as many, uh, like I feel like he's actually hit some pretty big shots in his mm-hmm. short tenure yeah. uh, down the stretch of games to like kind of ice them. But like like you said, he's such a limited offensive player that when your offense is sputtering down the stretches the way that it did last night, to have any sort of juice, and it's something that like even on those Toronto teams, like Danny didn't close games on those Toronto yeah, he, teams he in the Sixers series. Yeah, and even if he yeah. did, he had Kawhi and Kyle Lowry. Right. And like Danny at, is not the kind of guy that's going to take personal offense to ending the game on yeah. the bench. Like you could put him on the bench and like he played the same amount of minutes as Cork Moss last night. Cork Moss played 20 minutes and Cork Moss, as I said, it, it didn't really come through, but like he was driving through the lane. He was getting downhill. He was doing those little interior hook passes to Andre Drummond, setting him up beautifully. His passing looked fantastic the shot wasn't always falling he did hit a pull-up three later in the game maxi hit a uh, step back three yeah. tobias even early in the game had two pull-up threes like i yeah, feel tobias, like i was like in the second quarter i think he was pulling from three it was great to see like, yeah and he literally happened. all of his threes happened in the first half yeah. he went through he went three for four from three and then just stop shooting threes. it was literally that run that run he had the second quarter was literally tobias we've been asking for for the last right. couple of years, like just pulling right. from three, not hesitating, and then it yeah. just disappeared in the second half. Which yeah, and he even like, I like the thing that is so frustrating is like I feel like a lot of the things that we talked about after the first game we actually saw in this game. Mm-hmm. They shot more threes. They weren't hesitant to shoot threes. They were catch and shoot right off right off of the catch. And then on top of that, we got to see Maxi a little bit with the backups. It was they had some Maxi Cork yeah. Cork Moss Drummond lineups. Like I like some of the things. I think they ended up shooting 34 threes. But the major issue is gonna be, especially with Ben Al, and we talked about this is the fact that Cork Moss is definitely their best passer, and Drummond's probably their second best passer. <laughs> yes. 
And that's a problem. And especially when you're only playing those two together while the second unit is eating and their, their offensive rating so far is like 127 per 100 possessions in the first two games, which obviously incredibly small sample size that won't be sustainable. But at the same time, you finally got the bench correction, right? And you finally figured out how to survive the minutes without Embiid. And now it seems like the Embiid minutes because of the lack of passing. Like they talked about how down the stretch of this game that the ball movement wasn't great. And I'm like, yeah, that's every fucking game, dude. Like that's why you need a closer. Like what's the ball movement going to be? Like watch and watch any other NBA team. Like there's not great ball movement down the stretch. Like no defense is locked in. the Warriors don't have great ball movement down the stretch. It's just Steph Curry doing Steph Curry. Exactly. Like, and you don't have anyone. Right. So the thing is, is like, there's that element. And then there's the element that we talked about in the first post game rant, which is no one on this fucking team gets to the line except for Embiid. They shot nine free throws and the net, the net shot 25. So like, if you want to talk about like all of the easy buckets that you're you're potentially losing without Ben Simmons in transition, even though I think the transition offense actually looked pretty good again for the second straight game, you need to figure out ways to win on the margins and and grifting for free throws is the easiest way to do that. And the only two people that really got to the line last night were Embiid and Korkmaz. And Korkmaz got to the line three times, or yeah, Embiid got to the line five times, I think. Korkmaz got to the line three times, and I think Seth got to the line twice. So it might have been and 11 free throws. And two of them were intentional. They intention. were both intentional. So so he didn't draw those fouls. Tobias didn't get to the line once. Maxi yes. didn't get to the line once. Like, these Tobias things cannot happen. Tobias and Maxi have to be the guys to get there. Yep. And Tobias, I, I don't know. What are you going to – it's kind of tough to expect him to change year 10. Right. Max Maxi's the guy who really needs to start getting to the line. Yep. And he has the skill set to do it. Yeah, and the and I think that one of the issues that we've seen with him is that he is – while he is a fantastic scorer, he's able to get to the rim, he's an incredible finisher, he sometimes can shy away and lean on that mid-range game and that floater game a little bit, which is going to – result in less free throws because you're less willing to go to the rim and take the contact. And by the way, he took a fucking beating in the first game and didn't get any calls anyway. So he's going to have to earn that reputation as a scorer and a guy who gets to the line to really get respect from the refs. And the most frustrating thing is like Seth is never going to be the, I I don't expect Seth to be because Seth is your, Seth is your perimeter guy. Like, yeah, he's not going to the rim. He's your perimeter guy. Mm -hmm. That's fine. He's a role player. There's a reason for that. Tobias is a max player. Yeah, Tobias is just Tobias is a max player. Needs to get to the line if he's going to be a sco- uh, a main scoring option. And then Maxi needs to, as I said, develop that as part of his game as he gets older. He's still only twenty, going on twenty one. Yeah, but that's what we said in the past. Like you're asking him to like cram like three years of a development into one off season, and it's just right. Totally unfair ask. I mean, we've seen it with the Sixers players. Like, yeah. imagine Korkmaz in this position three years ago. Yeah, he, wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't an NBA player. He wasn't playable. Ago. Exactly. So now he's 24 and he's developed his passing. He's developed his playmaking. He's he's de- he's developed his off-the-dribble game to the point where he's clearly on that level. But, like, 
the, uh, the other frustrating thing about the Tobias and Maxi not being able to get to the line as much is the fact is that they're really good free throw shooters. Mm-hmm. So it's not even like Ben Simmons getting to the line yeah, like, or Andre Drummond getting to the line and they're not good free throw yeah, shooters. Especially with, with Ben not here, like aside from Drummond, like everybody on this team's a good free throw shooter. Yep. If they got to the line 30 times, they probably shoot like close to 85%. Yeah. And that's, just easy points that you're, yeah, yeah, as you said, like every single person, I think Quirk Boss might be the worst free throw shooter of the shooters. Yeah, I think he is, yeah. I think he's like 75, he's 70. He's, he's weirdly not a great free throw shooter. Yeah. And I, I and just like another, like, <sighs> I just, uh, it, uh, it, it just, it's just. It's, it's been for the last couple of years, like, unless MB just has one of those monster games where he gets to the line 20 times or the other team does Hackaben, they have like 15 free throws. Yeah, and even with like, like the games where Ben is aggressive, gets downhill, and can get to the line, a lot of the times, you know, as as we've said, like he's shooting 60 yeah. percent from the line. Like you, it, you'll take it, but and it's to, not, yeah, and not. And also, not to mention getting to the line. That's a minute, like solid thirty to sixty seconds of rest for Embiid, where he's not doing anything. Rest, uh, getting the other team, getting the other team into the bonus a, foul yeah. trouble. And Embiid's talked about that in the past, like getting to the line is big for him because he can rest. He can take a, take a minute to gather himself. Right. And, uh, and you could it, tell last night, you could tell last night at the end, he was exhausted. And yep. his knee was bothering him. And it's like, how are we going to figure out this balance of like, he's probably not going to play tomorrow against the no, Thunder. No way he should play tomorrow. I know Drummond's Dr- not going to play, but you can beat the Thunder with B-ball ball starting. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is true. Yeah, you'll probably have Niang or Tobias as the backup center, but you yeah. should. That team is so. Absolute, so I'm excited for the Shea Gilgis Alexander 50 point game, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like, okay, so God, this is this is just like another thing that really annoys me about Doc is that like he he kind of I feel like one of the things that Doc has actually done good as a coach is kind of feeling out the game and feeling out by the end who should be on the floor. He did a really good job of that at the beginning of his tenure last year where he would have Shake Milton when Shake was playing really well, he would have him close over Danny and then he inexplicably went away from that for some reason, even though that was the Sixers number one most productive lineup for the first month or two of last season, inexplicably goes away from those closing lineups. And then this time around, as I said, I feel like if he were were to have better feel, he would have probably continued to play Cork Moss over Danny Green down the stretch. He would have at least given him an opportunity in the last five minutes instead of pulling him, putting Danny back in, and, and having that disaster happen. But another thing that I noticed was that Isaiah Joe only got four minutes yeah. in last night's game. And obviously, I'm a big Isaiah Joe fan. I know you like Isaiah Joe. I don't think that this guy is like the the answer to all of our problems. But once again, to have a at worst neutral defender, probably slight plus defender just because of the fact that he can cause some havoc in passing lanes and get some turnovers and a incredibly willing shooter. He took one shot last night. He was in for four minutes. He had basically no plays called for him. Doc immediately is so quick to pull the young guys, and it will just always be the case with him. He doesn't let them play through their growing pains, whereas he would let rather let Danny Green airball three threes down the stretch 
It's the same thing yeah. he did with Dwight Howard last year. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he would rather let Dwight die on the court than play, even yeah. give an opportunity to a young player. He has guys who he trusts and guys who he just doesn't and he'll never trust until they can just – they go above and beyond to gain that trust. Like you said with Shake Milton last year, he probably trusts Shake Milton because he scored 40 on him in last in- – <laughs> Yep. And then he, then after a month, he was like, oh, okay, Shake Mill's not that good. And then he pulled him and probably doesn't trust him anymore. But yeah, like he trusts Danny. He doesn't trust Corkmaz. So he's not going to put Corkmaz in the game against the Nets over Danny. And yeah. Obviously doesn't trust Isaiah Joe at all. He trusts Maxi because he has to trust Maxi right now. Right. But when Shake Milton comes back, it wouldn't surprise me if all of a sudden Maxi's getting 20 minutes a game. That's that's the other thing that I do fear is that if Shake and Ben are to come back into the rotation, what does that mean for Furkin's role? What does that mean for yeah. Isaiah Joe's role? What does that mean for, for yeah, Maxie's role? Isaiah Joe role? will never – Isaiah Joe tomorrow when guys are out and they're playing OKC, that is his only chance. If he doesn't play well tomorrow, it's over. Like maybe he'll get a shot at Christmas. It's, it's legitimately – I feel like I'm going insane watching this man coach a basketball team. It's like literally every – stereotype about boomers in one man <laughs> and he <laughs> and he is our coach like he's a hypocrite he talks about personal responsibility and accountability he fucking he doesn't trust young people loves uh, loves his old guys <laughs> and it's just fucking driving me nuts i'm completely like i didn't think that and, and by the way, I, I still don't let games affect me quite as much as I used to, especially regular season games like this. Like like even even last year losing in the playoffs, I was able to laugh about it more than I would have yeah, I in the past. After, after game five, it was kind of funny. Yeah, it's like you're just you get the misery beaten out of you, essentially. Yeah. But now, like, I just feel like like this is why I said before the season even though I think there are some positives to take from the first few games and the Sixers might end up a good regular season team again, we are the margin for, for the wheels falling off on this thing is fucking incredibly thin right now. Embiid's already hurt. Ben, we, we don't know when he's coming back. And then everything that we've discussed on this podcast, like we said, like I said, on the first podcast we did, if Embiid has to miss a month, they'll go five and 15 and Embiid already has the knee thing. And obviously that was from bagging knees, so it's not wear and tear. Right. Wear and tear at this point. But if you play him last night, if he aggravates that or something happens and all of a sudden he's out for three weeks, you could be looking at like a 5-15 and 15 start. They, if he gets hurt, they're really like in bad shape. And history tells us he will at least have some sort of injury that keeps him out for close to a month at some point. Yeah. And uh... – he will have these load management games where, well, it's fine to sit about against Oklahoma City. Like, if you can't beat Oklahoma City without Embiid, yeah, like you then should be able, you should be able to pick your spots. Like, Oklahoma exactly. City, that should be a game. Even if he didn't deal with the knee thing, that should be a game where you're, like, very cautious. Like, so if anything's a, bothering you, just take the night off. I have a question for you. Are you going to start watching Paulo Banchero uh, <laughs> highlights? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, th- I think even even without Embiid, I don't think we th- – th- that's the, no, I the, think we the would. frustrating if Embi- part of If this. Embiid were to go out for the year like right now, I think they would. OKC have. though? Like OKC oh, is not the OKC. worst team not worse than OKC. Yeah, they wouldn't be worse than OKC, although Dow would try to make them worse than OKC. But <laughs> they'd definitely be like, – Presti, I can beat you at your own game. <laughs> they'd definitely be top five in, in the lottery odds. 
it's so funny because it's like a few different things go the other way in this game. We're talking about a two and zero start. Sixers have beat the oh, Nets. I was so re- I was so ready after the first to be talking about this team's actually good. Just go get just go get whatever you can get for Ben. Just get some sort of shot creator, whether it's Jordan Clarkson, and just go. We're good. <laughs> okay, get me. Get me Spencer Dinwiddie. Like you said, when we were when we were talking about the Nets game last year, Mike James and Tyler Johnson, they're both available right now. Go get them. Go get them, Daryl. Daryl, if you're listening, I know that you've been hooper-pilled because you signed Grant Riller, you drafted Tyrese <laughs> Maxey, you now in the G League draft today, we just drafted Shamori Ponds. Yeah. Bucket problem. The new market inefficiency is hoopers. And yeah. Maury did it by getting everyone obsessed with analytics. And now he's yeah. pulling it back the, Sixers, the other way. I think the Sixers are the one team where we really need the ball don't stop guy running our team. <laughs> Jamal just Crawford him, is a free agent. <laughs> just put him, just put the ball don't stop guy in charge for like two days. Get us our hoopers and then Dow can take back over. Isaiah Thomas, closer. <laughs> fuck it. Let's fuck it. Let's do it. <laughs> Okay, I will say just last little thing here. It's funny. Speaking of hoopers, and this is just something that I I have to bring up. Watching Colin Sexton last night, it's yes. so funny because I'm like – I'm borderline with Sexton. Like I've said before, I think that like he gets a little bit underrated by people that are just looking at like where he was as a prospect two years ago and his analytics and all that shit. But he, he he's – I don't think he's going to be a star player. But – I do think that there is a slight chance that he could become maybe what basically what CJ McCollum is now, but instead mm-hmm. of being that three point guy, he can be the guy who gets the line, the guy who's a great driver. Like his passing looked pretty good last night. Like I'm watching film of him and I'm like, he's making crazy shots down the stretch, even though they were down like 15. Yeah. Like I don't think he makes a huge impact on the Cavs because the Cavs are fucking terrible. But I there's a slight part of my brain. I don't know what's wrong with me that's just like I see something in this dude. I- that's my favorite Ben trade right now, aside from the McCollum thing. They I win that game with CJ McCollum last night. Oh my god, they win that game by twenty. <laughs> I am all in on CJ McCollum at this point. Like I would not do anything to wait to see what, what Portland how if hope that Portland gets off to a bad start, not for Dave Lillard for CJ McCollum. I, I I think that it, I think that it could get to the point where Daryl might say fuck it and let's go for that. Like I don't think that he's going to as he said, he's like there's only role players on the table right now. Maybe yeah, Portland yeah. maybe Portland offered that 3 months ago and then once Daryl didn't play ball, they pulled it off the table. Yeah, but if they get off to a bad start, I could see them offering that and I would hope that Daryl will get to the point where it's like this is the best we can do. Right. And I think that's when I look at that cuz I just think about the realistic best offers and it was the Brogdon package, that's off the table now because he signed the extension. Right. And it's really McCollum where you're hoping that something falls into your lap out of nowhere that you can't see right now. CJ McCollum had th- 34 points on 14 of 24 shooting, six rebounds and five assists and two steals in his first game uh, of know, the season, know, by the way. People, people talk about him because I think there's a bad rep. He has a bad reputation and stuff around like, you know, real stands and stuff. But yeah. you look at his numbers – they're really good, especially without Dame. Like he averages close to thirty a game when Dame doesn't play on efficient shooting. The the real issue with CJ would continue to be the issue that we he have now, line. which is he yeah. he does not get to line. Yeah. Sexton 
Sexton's the argument for Sexton over CJ is one the upside and age thing. Two the mm-hmm. the 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 real the real risk you would have to take with any trade based around Colin Sexton is that he is going to be extended after the season, and if he gets and maxed by like some, some team, I feel like some team would throw him a max. Right. And, you know, that could be an issue. But you know what? We thought the same thing with Zach Levine a few years ago. Yeah. And he's this guy's not quite – Sexton isn't as big as Levine. He doesn't shoot quite as well as Levine. But he's an elite driver. He's He can collapse a defense. Like, I see something in this guy. And the reason why, like, if if you were to tell me, like, the, the best trade that the Sixers could possibly get is C.J. McCollum just because yeah. C.J. McCollum's a top Although 40 will, player right I now. I will say I don't want it to happen. Everything about Daryl Morey, I just I can't imagine he's actually like just not even considering the Kyrie thing. I don't want it to happen, but I can't imagine he's just sitting there like, no. You're not wrong. As You're 100 percent right. As he's, yeah, as he's getting offers centered around Malik Beasley, there's no way he's sitting there with the Kyrie thing and not saying, let's keep our eye on that. You think that Daryl Morey has morals? No. <laughs> No. <laughs> oh, also, Ben's not vaccinated either, not to be do HIPAA violations again. But that, yeah, there have been reports that basically said his vaccination well, status could part. could. Darryl, what's that? Daryl will get Ben vaccinated. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Is like if he knows that he can get traded, yeah, and it's only actually, yeah. to a market, he would get vaccinated. He almost has leverage in that way that he can say, okay, well, if you're going to trade me to the Nets, I'll definitely get vaccinated. If you're going to trade me to the place I want to go, I don't know if you've seen the clip going around on Twitter, but uh, fucking uh, LeBron during the All-Star, you posted it, actually. It was oh, yeah, uh, Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. <laughs> After two games, Honestly, I would... I don't know. They would win. They win that game with Russell Westbrook. <laughs> okay, do not talk yourself. I can talk myself into any Hooper. Name a Hooper. Literally, name a fucking guy. Name. Uh, give me Sharif Cooper. Cooper. Sharif Cooper. Lou Williams. I can <laughs> talk Williams, myself. Yeah. I can talk myself into the worst Hooper about, in the NBA. About, I'm not doing Westbrook. I'll <laughs> bring Fultz back. <laughs> We win that game with Markel Fultz last oh, night. Yeah, Let's definitely. be honest. Fultz, Fultz can get buckets. <laughs> All right, Mike. Uh, we before we completely lose our fucking mind here. Uh, <laughs> let's wrap it up, and then uh, sometime in the future we will do another one of these. Hopefully, it's mm-hmm. on a happier note. Hopefully, it's uh, because they won a game or yeah. maybe made a trade for wow. someone that's out there that's somewhere (laughs) in the league we could possibly trade a player on our team i don't know which player but one of them yes shake milton if we can swing a shake milton for colin (laughs) sexton trade then uh then hopefully we can we can hop back on here but i i appreciate you coming on again uh on such short notice especially but had to get some we both had to get some thoughts out there and it just once again feel like losing my mind so yeah peace bud See ya.